Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Welcome to the Inside China Basin San Francisco Giants baseball podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, featuring our regular guest, two-time World Series champion, former Giants reliever, George Contos. Gabe Kapler is not Bruce Bochy, so he's going to run things his way. And I'm sure with Farhan, they've had their discussions on what the best course of action is for the ball club. Inside China Basin is brought to you by Keynes Tire in San Rafael, the lowest prices in Marin County for over 60 years. Remember Lance Necro, the son of Joe Necro and the nephew of Phil Necro, the Hall of Fame knuckleball pitcher? Well, Lance, remember him playing for the San Francisco Giants from 2003 to 2007. Now he's the head coach at Florida Southern, and one of his players, outfielder Vaughn Brown, was drafted by the Giants in the 10th round this year. I had a chance to chat with Lance on Tuesday about Vaughn Brown and about the knuckleball and some great memories growing up in the Negro family. Here was that conversation. And joining us is Lance Necro, who is now the head coach at Florida Southern. Lance, I haven't had a chance to talk to you in a little while. Uh, I saw you a couple of years ago at the Division II Baseball Championship. How much are you enjoying uh, coaching baseball and at that level where, I mean, from what I've seen, and I've covered the D2 Championship, uh, those kids play all out, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed my time. I've been in uh, Florida Southern for 10 years now. Um, it was a tough adjustment, you know, going from professional baseball back into the college environment. Uh, so I'm still learning every day, but uh, I love it. You know, there's definitely things I miss about playing, but I think in the end uh, I, I get more joy out of coaching than I did playing. So, so that's a positive. Yeah, I mean, I think you get some satisfaction, too, when a player gets drafted. And the reason I wanted to talk to you today was that the Giants drafted outfielder Vaughn Brown in the 10th round out of Florida Southern. So I know Giants fans are excited about him. Uh, tell us what you think of him and, and how much satisfaction did you get out of seeing him develop? Yeah, Vaughn came came in as a freshman out of Sarasota, uh, Florida. And he was raw, just like most of them. You know, most freshmen, he was young, uh, had some growing pains to go through. Uh, but the, the talent was always there, always a you know plus defender, plus speed. Uh, over the years, the power came, the contact came. He cut down on striking out, uh, and he you know he really benefited from from the fifth year from from the COVID year uh, last year with all the players getting another year back. And you know he took it and he ran with it. He got his body in better baseball shape. He was always really strong and, and a cut up person, but really really tuned his body into into play in shape and baseball shape and. Um, you know, worked worked his butt off every day and became a team leader, and and really took off. It was, you know, it was a fun year to watch him, and you know, felt like every time he came up, he was going to hit the ball hard. I uh, definitely didn't expect the power numbers to be what they were from him, but uh, you know, it was it was it was a lot of fun for me to watch. You know, the progression that he had over the five years that he was here, and then, you know, I wasn't even sure he was going to get drafted just with his age and everything. I'm not sure he thought he was going to get drafted and, and to go on the second day in the 10th round was, you know, a huge honor for him. And for me, that's the first player that I've had that's gotten picked by the giants. So it was, uh, it's, it's really cool. I've already given him some names to look out for. Uh, he reported on Saturday out to Arizona. So I knew, uh, Carlos Valderrama and, and Travis Ishikawa. So I told him to tell those guys, Hey, and, and hopefully they'll take good care of him. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it has to bring back some memories for you uh, when you were drafted coming out of the same school. You went to Florida Southern, and you were a second-round draft pick. So what could you relate to him and other players about the road ahead in the minor leagues and you know trying to get to the major leagues? Yeah, one thing I try to instill with everyone is, you know, college baseball is it's college baseball. You know, they're, they're going to class and they're playing baseball three, four games, or four or five games a week maybe, and I try to tell them that this, these are the fun times of their life. You know, what comes next is when the stress starts of, you know, whether it's in professional baseball or just in the, in the business world, you know, that's when you have to start worrying about money and, and uh, if you have a family, start providing for your family. And that's when the real stress occurs. So for, in college, just enjoy it, go out, have fun um, on the field. And then at the next level, when they get into, you know, if it's professional baseball, hopefully I've, you know, helped them uh, <clears throat> mentally enough to where they understand that, you know, now it's on them where, you know, they can't be showing up late to things or slacking off. There's always someone that's trying to take their spot. So hopefully that, that they're in the, have the right frame of mind that they're prepared, whether they make it or not to, you know, into, into major leagues, you know, that's, you know, that's dictated off performance and, and personnel, but just to, at the end of the day, when they get, you know, if they get released or if they retire, or whatever, they can hang their head high and know they gave it their all. Do you feel like things have changed a little bit uh, as far as recognition of, players from the division two level because i mean i saw that there were several several players that i saw at the division two championship that were drafted pretty high and i don't know if that was always like that it seems like you know there's a lot more uh, recognition out there for those players yeah there is i mean we'll never be able to compete with uh with the higher you know division one programs you know you see they get a lot more people drafted than than the division two does but you know, there is an abundance of talent at the Division Two level. A lot of guys are, you know, Division One kickbacks. Um, you know, either they didn't get to play much or they were in a program they didn't like, and they get to go to Division Two and they thrive. <clears throat> so the talent's there. Um, like I said, we won't be able to compete with, with the, you know, the Power Five conference per se, but, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that I feel that could play at the next level, and there's a lot of guys that get that chance, and there's a lot of guys that don't get that chance. All right, let's talk a little bit about your career. Uh, when you were coming up, I know when you were in high school, you were throwing the knuckleball, and then you became a third baseman and ended up switching over to first base. So tell us about those transitions that you made uh, to eventually make it into pro ball. Yeah, I always felt uh, I was I was more of a position player, more of a hitter than I ever was a pitcher. I just I threw the knuckleball in high school because no one else did, and mine was mine was decent enough to get guys out, but my dad and I both knew that, you know, as a hitter it would be my chance to make it. And, you know, playing third base in college, I, you know, I did really well. And even my first two years in the minors, I did well at third and had a shoulder injury um, to my right shoulder and kind of inhibited the way that I, that I threw the ball and basically made me transition over to first base. And, you know, lucky for me that it worked out to, to make it up for, you know, parts of four years. And obviously I would have liked to have, you know, been there longer, but, you know, I can't complain about, actually just making it even if it was just for one day. Those teams that you played on, uh, 03 to 07, very much a veteran uh, team each year. I mean, you know, you had Barry Bonds and Randy Wynn, Omar Vizquel, Ray Durham. Those are some of the names that were on those teams. Was it intimidating a little bit when you first walked into the clubhouse? It was. Um, you know, basically with the presence of Barry made it intimidating in itself. But, you know, also to, to walk into a locker room with guys you know, that's full of guys that, that we watched that I grew up watching that we watched when we were in the minor leagues. And, you know, you want to go in and, and prove, improve your point, prove your case that you belong to stay. 
but you also understand you had to act a certain way because you're in a locker room with veterans. Uh, so there was some intimidation with that, but, you know, I tried to just go out and, you know, play to the best of my ability. And unfortunately injuries hurt me, hurt me some and, uh, sliders hurt me the other way <laughs> right <laughs> was bonds hard to approach and, and some of those other guys i mean did you approach them try to get some tips uh yeah there was there was a few guys that you know that i definitely uh, approached and and tried to get pointers from barry you know barry had enough on his plate uh with everything that was going on during that time and you know the speculation and chasing the, the home run record so he wasn't uh you know extremely you know vocal with us all the time. There were certain times that he, that he would, but um, there were some other guys in the locker room that I, you know, obviously with, with me playing first and Ray Durham playing second, you know, I got to pick his brain a lot with JT snow platooning with me, uh, picking his brain and, you know, Omar Descal and Mike Matheny were, were two of my favorites, just, you know, the way they went about their business and some of the life lessons that Mike taught me that I didn't know were going to be life lessons at the time, but things happen in my life now. And, I can reflect and look back and be like, oh, man, that's what he was talking about. And Luckily, at the uh, baseball coaches convention a few years ago, Mike spoke, and I got a chance to go up and talk to him and, and just kind of you know, thank him for some of the things that, that, he said, that he said to me that have stuck in my mind over the years. And you know, those are the things that I'll never forget. Yeah, that's great that you had that opportunity. And Felipe Alou, what was he like as a manager? <clears throat> uh, Felipe, Felipe was great. You know, he, was, he was pretty quiet uh, you know, towards the end of his career. Uh, as far as being on the field. So, you know, he was kind of laid back. You know, he'd, he'd let you know if you made a mistake, whether it was mental or physical. But, um, you know, I got along fine with Felipe. I had a chance to see him uh, a few years ago. The Giants came to Tampa and played the Rays. So I, I was able to get down on the field for BP and, you know, see. There wasn't too many guys still playing uh, that I played with, but a lot of the coaches were still around. And uh, Bochi was managing at the time, uh, but Felipe was, was there as, as a special assistant. So, got to reminisce with him a little bit and Jake Peavy was on the team at the time, which is who I hit my first big league home run off of. So oh. <laughs> got to, yeah, I got, got to give him a little bit, even though, uh, you know, his career was, was much better than mine. I at least got to hold that over. him. <laughs> were there pressures to, you know, get into the performance enhancing part of the game? Because so many players at that time, we know now, uh, were taking steroids and, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses, I guess, because there were so many, uh, power numbers going on. Did you feel any pressures, uh, you know, even when you were in the minor leagues? Yeah, the pressures were there. Um, you know, I personally never saw anybody do it. Um, that doesn't mean that it wasn't going on. I just, I, my eyes never witnessed that, but there was pressures and, you know, especially in the minor leagues, there was guys that you highly, highly speculated were, were on it. And, uh, I was, you know, I, I, I serious, I had it go through my mind very seriously. If, if I would have had it, I might've done it. You know, I, I can't say for sure if I would have or wouldn't have, but if it was presented to me, there's a strong chance that I would have just because it was, it was, it was around so much at that time, but I did not. And, um, you know, if, if I did out things maybe could have gone differently or not, but you know, I can look back and, and say that I made it without it. And, you know, and I'm, I'm happy with the decision that I, that I never chose to. Yeah. I mean, I guess you find out later too, you know, how dangerous it is. And maybe now as a coach, does that give you a different viewpoint on, you know, what you want to try to say to the kids coming up? It does. You know, I, you know, we try to talk to these guys about nutrition and, you know, uh, alcohol, you know, especially being in college, this is, you know, a big time in their life when they're turning 21 and they, they think they're invisible. And, you know, I try to, 
try to tell them as much as I can just to, to watch out for themselves and, you know, not only the dangers of, of what can happen, you know, what, if it's a car accident or anything like that, but just the dangers to their body, you know, and the toll that it can take and performance and, and physically. And, you know, I look back and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, I think back at, you know, some of the times I had. And I'm like, man, I'm telling these guys not to do things that I did. But <laughs> luckily, luckily for me, you know, I never I never got in any sort of trouble with the law or hurt anybody or got in an accident or anything. But, uh, you know, it, you know, it is playing the devil's advocate when I'm telling them these. But, you know, I try to try to set, you know, the best example I can for them and, you know, and hope some of the things I say stick in their mind. And, you know, if, if they're faced with a, with a tough decision, hopefully they'll make the right one. You know, recently we lost Dick Tidrow. He passed away, and yeah. uh, he was the farm director when you were with the Giants. So, what were your experiences with him? Oh, the ninja! Uh, you know what a, what a what a great guy he was. You know, he was brutally honest with you. Um, you know, he would tell you when when you were not doing well and ask you why you're not doing well, and you know he'd make he'd make you aware of that. But you know, he was he was a guy that you could approach. You know, he he you know, obviously played in the big leagues and he he was always willing to offer up advice. And, you know, it was kind of the, the running joke in the minor leagues, you know, every day you'd, you'd scan places where you think someone would not be to try to see if, if we could, if we could find a ninja, whether it was climbing up in a tree or sitting, you know, standing behind a pole watching the game. So <laughs> it was always, you know, there was always the, the dip police, the tobacco police that you had to watch out for, but you always, uh, you always on the ninja hunt also. We'll have more with Lance Necro, the former Giant and now head coach at Florida Southern, right after this. When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Kane's Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Kane's has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. Voted Best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Kane's prices beat Costco's prices every time. Kane's Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give him a call at 415 453 That's 415-453-2942 for Kane's Tire. I want to go back to the knuckleball. Um, You, like you said, you you know, started out throwing it in high school, and then you tried to come back as a knuckleballer after your time with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, Tell us about that pitch. How hard is it to throw it, and how come we don't see more knuckleballers in Major League Baseball? Uh, you know, there really aren't that many that have been successful really in the, in the history of the game, other than your uncle Phil, who's a hall of famer and your dad, Joe, who was a great knuckleball pitcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll start with the, the, how I got into that with the Braves. I, uh, I always told myself that I would give it a chance when I was done, uh, as a, as a position player, if the, you know, if the opportunity came and I was here in, in Lakeland, uh, at a friend's house and, uh, there's a guy named Brian Bridges who coached me in, in high school and in college and became a national cross checker with the Braves. Now he's actually a cross checker with the Giants. But uh, he he was there and he asked me if I still threw a knuckleball. And at this time I was working a desk job, which I hated. Um, <laughs> so he had, had a couple of gloves in my car and I threw him two of them. And the second one was pretty nasty and, and broke down into his thumb. And he said, would you want to try it with the Braves? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. So he got on the phone um, with his people. And before I knew it, I was, uh, and, you know, at spring training with the, uh, with the Braves. So it was, a, you know, I had a, I had a year, I stayed, uh, in Orlando in the Gulf Gulf coast league and, and just really worked on it hard and dedicated myself to it and had some success. And, you know, I obviously had some times that it wasn't too good, 
And then the next year, or towards the end of that first year, they approached me about moving up. You know, the next year they said, we want to give it two years and we'll put you in, in high A or double A next year to see how it goes. And at that time, my wife was pregnant and I really had to search, you know, search, search down deep and realize that about a year and a half before that, I was hitting, you know, hitting third in front of Barry Bonds. And now I'm trying to start my career over at 30 years old. Yeah. So I decided, I decided to give it up. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was the best decision for me at the time, especially with the circumstances. So, you know, I'm happy I had that year and grateful to, you know, my uncle Phil for helping me and and with Brian Bridges and the Braves. But now the knuckleball itself is very difficult. I personally, you know, obviously everyone always asks me, you know, I want to try to throw it, teach me, teach me, you know, all these kids (laughs) on my team always, you know, everyone thinks they can throw it. I personally think that it's you can or you can't. And if you can't, you will never be able to learn it. It's just, I worked with, with my roommate Trey Lunsford in the minor leagues for three or four years and has never got any better after that time. And then there's other guys that you just show them a grip and it's not too bad. And I think those are the guys that you can help, but the ones that don't have a chance just do not have a chance. Um, the reason why you don't see it too much anymore, um, for, for a lot, it's kind of a last resort thing like it was for me and like it was for Wakefield. And it's on the other side, the young guys, it's not a pitch that's really going to get you drafted. Um, you know, there might be, you know, the, the, the exception to guys signing a free agent deal or something like that, but it's just, it's not something that wows anybody. And, and right now, if you go to a, to a recruiting event, it's, you know, there's radar guns everywhere and knuckleballs don't light up the gun. So, you know, I think it's guys want to, want to try to take their, their own path there first. To, to get drafted or get in the minor leagues. And if that doesn't work, then if they have the ability to throw an knuckleball, maybe they'll give it a chance. But, you know, it's, it's, it's never been a prevalent pitch in major league baseball. There's, you know, there's never been more than, you know, a handful of guys at a time that, that are throwing it. So it's, it's a tough way to make it. It's tough. And it, I mean, I, I'm kind of surprised that there haven't been guys sprinkled in and out because it's so hard to hit it. But is it mainly Lance that it's so hard to throw for a strike? It's so hard to control the thing. Uh, control. Yeah. I think consistency is the biggest thing. Um, I'd say when I was pitching, I threw, you know, probably five to six out of 10 that were good. And that's not good enough because those other five or four are getting hit really hard. Cause it's a BP fastball when it's spinning a lot. Um, you know, when you look back at, at, at the greats that threw the knuckleball, theirs are good nine out of 10 times. And you know, that it's a hard pitch to throw you know, consistently with no spin. And, you know, I, th- I think that's probably the biggest hurdle is, you know, when your knuckleball is not on, you're not going to be any good out there. <laughs> right. When, 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 when you have, when you have another pitcher that's, you know, mid nineties with a good slider, you know, if his slider is not on that day, he's still throwing mid nineties or, if, you know, if his fastball is not on, he's still got his good slider. Whereas a knuckleballer, if you don't have your knuckleball, you're just throwing BP fastballs in there all day. Yeah, exactly. Well, it really gives every everything you just said gives everybody more of an appreciation for what your dad, Joe, and your uncle Phil did throwing that knuckleball for so long consistently. I, I'm curious, growing up, uh, did you kind of think that was the normal thing? Like, hey, you know, uh, these guys can throw it. I could throw it. You know, just about anybody could throw that. I, I wonder what a game of catch was like as a kid with your dad and your uncle. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was fun. We you know whenever we get a chance, we go out and play catch. And you know, my dad, I don't think he would always throw his best to me. Just scared that that it would hit me and hurt me. But 
uh, when he was coaching me in high school, you know, if, uh, you know, when he was throwing BP, if one of our hitters would hit a home run in BP, he would, he would rear back and throw him a good knuckleball and just let him know like, Hey, I still got this. But, um, you know, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. And growing up, you know, I knew my dad was a major league baseball player. You know, I knew he threw a knuckleball, but you know, I, I didn't really understand the magnitude of the knuckleball at that time. You know, I was only, uh, eight or nine years old when he retired. So, you know, you know, half my, half my, half, you know, half my life at that point, you know, I don't remember the second half, you know, I remember, and I remember some success he had, even though that was towards the end of his career, but, you know, winning the world series in 87 with the twins, the only world series that either him or Phil went to, you know, was the highlight of of my dad's career. And one of the highlights of my childhood, just being able to witness that and and seeing the joy that it brought him at that age. Um, But, you know, I just, I knew my dad as as a, as a major league baseball player, you know, at, at that point in your life, you don't understand money, um, and you know, you know, the, the, the amount that, that he was bringing in at that, you know, at that time, you know, you don't understand that. I just knew that I could see my dad on TV and spend a couple months with him in the off season. And during the season, you know, see him, you know, maybe once or twice a month. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the downfall of a professional athlete, especially in baseball when you're traveling a lot is, you know, you don't get to see your family a lot. They don't try, you know, we never lived in the city where my dad was playing. We always lived in Lakeland, Florida. So he would fly home on an off day or we'd go up for, you know, a weekend, whether it was in New York or Houston or Minnesota. So, you know, those are things that people don't look about, look at. And, you know, obviously now with the salaries, everyone thinks all, you know, all is fine and dandy because you're making multi-millions a year, but your family life does suffer. Yeah. Or can suffer. Yeah. Well, you and I first met each other in Bend, Oregon, back in 1992, going way back. I was the broadcaster there, and it was the first ever team that the Colorado Rockies had in the minor leagues. And your dad was the pitching coach. You came up to visit. I mean, that must have been uh, pretty interesting for you because you got to spend, I would think, more time because he wasn't playing. He was the pitching coach. Yeah, those are those are some great memories I had with you know with that team being you know like as you mentioned the, you know the first minor league team that the Rockies had and. Um, you know, it was just great. I got to, I just got to go and travel parts of, of the country I'd never been to before and, you know, sit in the dugout with my dad and, and, um, you know, get to meet some of the guys and, and, you know, it was just, there's nothing, not one thing that sticks out what, what made it so great. It was just, I think, you know, just being able to be on the road with my dad and, you know, spending weeks at a time with him, which I wasn't able to do at, when he was, when he was playing. And, you know, it was just a, a great time, you know, being, gosh, how old was I, 12, 13 years old at the time, um, to, to just go out there and, and just be with him and, and just be at the field every day. He had a great sense of humor, and I'll tell you a quick story. I'll never forget one day I, I went down to play catch. I would do that every once in a while. I, I'd go down as a broadcaster, and I'd be playing catch. I mean, that's A-ball for you, I guess. And, right, and yeah. your, your dad's throwing me knuckleballs, and like you said before, he didn't want to hurt you. Well, I don't know if he, he cared as much about me because he threw some nasty knuckleballs. that were <laughs> They were hitting me in the shins, and he's just over there laughing at me because there's no way I could catch it. And I realized right then and there that if you have a great knuckleball, man, can you imagine being a catcher yeah exactly i mean i i still i have a, a knuckleball catcher's mitt that i carried with me when i was pitching with the braves and i still have it and you know it's like an oversized first baseman's mitt you know the the pocket that it has is huge and you know guys still have trouble catching it but um you know it's it's a fun it's just it's a fun thing to watch and you know knuckleballers are kind of you know in the they have their own little circle i, I remember going to uh, a golf tournament 
one one year. Um, I think it was Tim Wakefield's golf tournament, and you know it's Wakefield and Steve Sparks and my dad, and my uncle. Those four just kind of standing in a corner. Who knows what they're talking about? But it's four knuckleballers, so no one's <laughs> going to go over there and get in that conversation because the pitch they couldn't understand the pitch they threw, so they probably can't understand the conversation they're having. So, but everyone thought you know I'd, I'd you know just sit back and listen to my dad, and my uncle, and as you mentioned, you know the character that he was and. Uh, he, he, he enjoyed life. He, he always had a good time and, you know, always wanted to please people that were around him. And the same was true about my uncle. And, you know, I would tell my friends, you know, whether I took them fishing with me and my dad, or if we were at the field or just at the house or whatever, I would always just tell them, Hey man, just, just sit back and listen, you know, cause you know, he, he's going to make sure you have a good time and he's going to, you know, if you're interested in baseball, if you bring up, tell me some baseball stories, you're going to hear a lot of stories and you're going to laugh really hard at it. <laughs> I'm sure there were a lot of great stories. Uh, you know, that, that's the, you know, the uh, position that you were in and the advantage of being around it. Uh, you, you probably learned not only about baseball early on, but just about life, uh, you know, a lot faster than maybe others because these guys were, you know, in major league clubhouses and we all know about how those players joke around a lot yeah. and they have a lot of stories. Oh, yeah. oh, definitely. I mean, some of my fondest memories were in Minnesota, uh, when I would go there, I would, they, Tom Kelly was a manager, and he would he would let me bat boy when I was there. Uh, kind of had my own locker, little locker wedged in between my dad and Kirby Puckett, and uh, just you know, like I mentioned before, not only the celebration after they won the World Series, but just throughout the year, and, and the way those guys treated me was was just exceptional. I mean, you know, I know sometimes having a kid in the locker room can be a headache, but. Uh, I never saw that from any of those guys, from 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 Puck and from from Kent Herbeck and Gary Gaetti and Greg Gagne and Viola and Blylevin and Jeff Reardon. I mean, all, I could go on and on down the list. Um, you know, going fishing at Kent Herbeck's house and Kirby Puckett picking me up during batting practice and helping me rob home runs like he was famous for doing at the Metrodome. And then we go in the locker room and he'd pick me upside down and put me in the trash can. You know, just. <laughs> <laughs> like you mentioned, things that happen in a, in a locker room, but it was, you know, such great times and, you know, things I often, you know, look back on. And I, I have a DVD of, you know, that 87, ser- 87 team that the Twins had and, you know, leading from the beginning of the year up to the World Series. And it's just fun to, to go down memory lane every once in a while and, and see those things or look at those things. I was just thinking about your dad the other day because we've had all of the uh, checks of pitchers, the crackdown uh, as far as, you know, spider tack and all that because the pitchers want to get a grip on the ball. And there was that time where they came out to check your dad and he's like, I don't have anything. And an Embry board came flying out of his pocket. And it was a funny moment. I mean, really, because everybody's trying to get an edge and trying to figure out a, a way to get a grip on the ball or whatever they're doing. Uh, and with an Embry board, I don't know. I, I mean, you have to keep your nails in right condition too to throw the knuckleball, don't you? I don't, I'm not sure how that all works. You do, uh, you know, your, your, your two nails on, on, on your, on your throwing hand, um, your first and second fingers, you got to file those down. I know my dad on days that he pitched, you know, when he washed his hands, whatever, he would not wash those two fingers because water makes your nails soft. Huh. Uh, so he'd want his nails to be hard. He, would, he carried an emery board in his back pocket until the day he died. Um, he <laughs> never, never told me that he used it for a baseball, whether he did or not. I don't know, but he never told me that he did. Um, but it's just one thing that he carried a picture of me and my sister and he carried, and he carried an emery board. Um, that's just how it is or how it was. Um, you know, I remember, you know, they, the twins were in California playing the angels. And I remember I couldn't sleep at night and I went down to my mom's bedroom and she was kind of freaking out. It was happening at that point. They were searching them. 
And uh, so I got to actually watch that live on TV when it happened. And we were, you know, he got suspended for 10 days. During those 10 days, it got him on David Letterman, um, you know, for, for the incident. And then we flew up for his first eligible day back to pitch. And I remember my mom being extremely nervous about how the crowd was going to react uh, to that. And, you know, they ended up giving out, I think the first 10,000 fans got an emery board <laughs> on the back. That. That's great. Oh yeah. On the back. I, I still have a drawer full of them on the back. It was in, inscripted, uh, the Necro file, nail it to the wall. Um, <laughs> my dad had signed them and he got a standing ovation when he took the mound. There were signs. Every, I mean, they, they really welcomed him back. I mean, you know, obviously for getting kicked out of the game for per se cheating wasn't the best thing, but they welcomed him back with open arms and, um, you know, it was a breath of fresh air for us that, that he didn't get booted off the mound that day. But, you know, it is kind of sad to see how things have evolved in baseball. And um, in my personal opinion, it's not it wasn't handled the right way as far as implementing the rules in the middle of the season and doing it in the middle of a game. You know, it, that's far beyond my level. But, um, you know, I just I think things could have been handled differently. And we want to keep the game as, as pure as we can. But also it's, you know, you start thinking, you know, if something gets banned, you know, it's on to the next, you know, it's always the next thing. What's going to help me more? And, you know, hopefully they, hopefully there's legal ways to do that and not illegal ways to do that. Um, but, you know, hopefully this, you know, hopefully this will clean it up. Um, but who knows the games, every one of the games getting bigger and stronger every year. And, you know, I'm not sure that, that, uh, everyone needs, uh, a device or a substance or whatever to to make to make them that much better. Yeah, and I agree. I don't I don't like the way they rolled that out in the middle no. of the season. Uh, Lance, before I let you go, I, I, the, one of the great events that I've been able to cover is the Division Two Baseball Championship, and you were there a couple of years ago. I mean, that that's got to be quite a thrill for you and the kids to get there. It's it's in Cary, North Carolina, at the USA uh, Training Facility, Team USA. It's it's a wonderful facility, and just the event itself. Uh, you know, anybody who hasn't paid attention to it, it's pretty awesome. Uh, you guys must uh, enjoy trying to get there every year. We do. I mean, obviously for Division Two, that's the pinnacle, like Omaha is for Division One. Um, the year we went, 2018, we had a great team. We had a great year, um, 39 and nine through the regular year, and then uh, won our won the won our won our won our region. I'm sorry, the South Region tournament down here we hosted in Lakeland, and you know, a great experience for the kids. A great experience for me. You know, I had, I had heard about the championship, but I never got to experience it. So you know, going there as a coach was. Uh, a great accomplishment and, and I mean obviously I didn't I did not do much that year we had we had a team where I just kind of sat back and let them play and and we had the talent to do it and unfortunately things didn't work out for us um, you know we had some a couple errors that hurt us in a game and a couple box that hurt us in another game to to loot to get us eliminated but uh, a great experience to 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 strive to get back to and you know hopefully hopefully that'll come sooner rather than later I hope to see you there in the near future. Thanks a lot for the time, Lance. Really appreciate it. Good luck to you, and uh, and we'll uh, hopefully run into each other really soon. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's Lance Necro, the head coach at Florida Southern, the former San Francisco Giant. Another former Giant will be back with us next week. George Contos will continue as the analyst when we resume next week here on thesportsvirus.com. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.